Hard to believe, Father, we're at the end of the year already for this uh, Bible, Bible class, this Bible study. Father, I thank you for each and every one who has put the time in, has, has uh, committed, who has been a part of the, the teachings and the studies and the, the discussions. Father, I pray that they have received as much or even more than what I've received out of this, Lord. Thank you for the opportunities that we've had this year to talk and to discuss and to to learn your word and your plan and purpose for our, our lives. So, Father, as we finish tonight, as we close out with uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, we pray, Father, that it will continue to give you glory. Our, our discussion, our time together will, will give you glory, that it will lift you up and that it will be a, an honoring thing to you and that it will be a, a, a blessing to each and every one of us. Thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the Thessalonians were going through some hardships. And so uh, Paul had written two, at least two. There's probably more, but these are the two that made it into Scripture, that made it into canon. So in 1 Thessalonians, he talked about a number of things. Basically, you know, you guys can make it. He was encouraging them that they're going to make it through the persecution, the time of testing. He talked to them about end times. He talked to them about some character issues. Um, But for the most part, Thessalonians 1 and Thessalonians 2 was an encouraging letter. It was not a chewing them out for because they're doing something wrong letter. So 2 Thessalonians, he talked more about end times, about clarifying some things, because the rabble-rousers, the people who had been causing trouble, had spread some rumors that Jesus had already, you know, oh, you missed him, he's already been here, you know, he's gone already, and you missed it. And so they were concerned, and he clarified that, no, you're going to know. You will know when uh, when he's back. You'll, it, you, it will not be a surprise to you. So here we are at the end of Second Thessalonians, and he is wrapping up his uh, letter to them, and he does it this way. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. And so Paul knew that the success of his ministry in some measure depended on the prayers of God's people. I believe it's all. It's it, it, it does not just some measure. It is the measure. Things don't happen unless we pray. That's that's why prayer is so important. Praying for each other, praying for ourselves, praying for ministries, praying for governments, praying for, you know, things won't happen unless we pray. That's that's a, a spiritual principle that God has put us in authority. Um, he did at the beginning, and then Adam and Eve blew it, gave up that authority. Jesus, though, when he came, died on the cross... He earned back the authority and then gave it back to us. So now we're expected to do our part. And we don't do it, like Paul says, it's not against flesh and blood. We're not trying to to move people or move uh, governments or whatever, but we move um, situations through prayer. When we pray and ask God to do something, he does it according to his word, according to his will. So Paul here is saying... If you, you know, we want the gospel to be preached, please pray for us. 
because we have a lot to do and there's evil and wicked people out there trying to stop us. They're trying to keep us from proceeding. So Paul asks for prayer so that the word can run freely without hindrance. Paul's prayer request makes us wonder how often the work of God's word is hindered by our prayerlessness. And that's true. How much, how much more could we be doing if we were all doing our part, when we all do our part? So when we pray, one of the things I, you know, that I, I will be about straight up with is pray for me. Pray for me as the pastor of this church. Pray for our church. Pray for the people in our church. You know, um, what do you pray for? Well, we can be praying for each other. You know, Father, I pray that that uh, uh, each person today has a, has you know a good time at work, has is blessed at work. They're safe. They're they're prosperous. That their that their business prospers. That they're you know uh, so on and so forth. And we can pray as the Holy Spirit leads us for even individuals. You know, somebody he puts somebody on your heart when when you're praying. And you start thinking about somebody that you normally wouldn't think about, you know, a friend, a family, whatever. There might be the, the, the reason why you're thinking of them could be because God wants you to pray for them. He's, the Holy Spirit is bringing them to remembrance. So pray for them. Whatever, you know, pray in your understanding. So you pray, you know, uh, Father, I pray for safety uh, for uh, uh, Brian as he's driving that there's no accidents, pray that he, he finds everything he needs. And just pray that he has an easy day today, that he doesn't doesn't get lost again and he doesn't you know, <laughs> the truck doesn't break up. Whatever. You know, I'm never lost. Oh, okay. <laughs> so but you know that's right. But you know, praying for them to have a you know blessed day for protection, whatever it may be. But then the Lord may have you pray for them in the spirit because you don't know what they're going through that day. You don't know whatever struggle or whatever whatever opportunities they're having or temptation or whatever. You don't know. And that way the Holy Spirit helps us and we pray more effectively. We can pray in the spirit. And uh, so that's just one person. You know, and, and if we pray for whoever God leads us to pray for, you can see how you could pray for a while. Because it's not just, uh, God bless all the children in Africa, you know, I mean, I mean, it's just, it can be very specific and pray for individuals, pray for the church, you know, pray for the vision of the church to be fulfilled, that God, the, the vision that God has for our church be fulfilled. Man, and that's, if you have nothing else to pray about, pray for that, um, because there are things that God is in the midst of doing that, that are, you know, there's some really cool stuff that's happening. Um, I just heard a, a testimony that somebody, one of the new guests, got saved this weekend um, during the during the service. So you know, praise God! Awesome things are happening. We just, but it comes through prayer, and and that's what Paul is highlighting here is it's important to pray. Please pray for me. Well, you got saved through prayer, or stopped <clears throat> from falling away. Mm-hmm. So because you said God had already given up, or yeah. Well, it's kind of scary when God gives up on you, you know, <laughs> or at least warns you. Anyway, I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. You know. We're talking about theology. I shouldn't joke, but He doesn't give up on us. He loves us, and but, but yeah, right through prayer. So God has promised that His Word would be free, would be free, and pre- and perform its work. It shall not return void, He said, but it shall accomplish what I please and prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Isaiah 55, 11. Isaiah 55, 11. But as for many of God's promises, we are expected to take his, this promise 
in faith and in prayer to ask God to perform the promise for his glory. Verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will, he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. So God promised to keep Satan on a leash. Um, he will not allow any temptation to become too great for us. So anytime we ever fall in a temptation, it was our fault. He did everything he could do to keep us, because it says that he would not give us, there would not be a temptation that is greater than we can handle, than with his help. And so he gives a way out. We we should take that way out immediately. Now that's one of the things that I've learned with temptation is, is that he wants to give you a way out of that temptation. So as soon as you notice it, you take that way out. Don't don't reason it away. Don't don't go. Well, I can go a little further. I'm not going to do that. Well, if that's your way out, take it, and and take it as quickly as possible. I think as soon as you notice that it's a temptation, that you should pray for the way out. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you don't even know the way out until you actually ask for it. I mean, sometimes you. Would, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a promise that we can claim that uh, God, He promised you to give a way out of this. Absolutely. Should I tell him the, the testimony when that happened? If you have to ask her, then the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's just one of those funny, goofy things that I was on a flight from uh, Minneapolis through Chicago to Warsaw. And whenever whenever I fly, I usually get pretty good seats. I don't get I usually don't get first class, but I'll get seats with more legroom. Good, you know, because I ask for them. And they people look at me and go, "Yeah, okay, you need extra space." <laughs> so, I had gotten really good seats, bulkhead seats right behind first class, all the legroom I needed. I didn't tilt way back, but I was in a good seat. So, I'm sitting there and this 20 two 23-year-old girl comes and sits down next to me. And... Huh? I know about that, yeah. Yeah. I told somebody else. Yeah, I, I, I told it at church before, and I've told them different things. And she sits down. I mean, she was she was supermodel, 22, 23-year-old. So I'm just messing around, and all of a sudden she tries to t- talk to me in Polish. Well, I don't know Polish. And so I said, I, I'm sorry, I don't understand, you know, what you're what you're saying. So then she pulls out an English to Polish, Polish to English dictionary, and she starts looking up words, asking me if it was my first time to Poland and this, that. And I said, you know, I said, it was, we talked a little bit, but I was just ignoring it. Well, pretty soon I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden she starts laughing and doing this, and, and you know, and I'm going, oh, come on. Okay, that's the devil, all right? It's the devil because I'm old and fat, and she is not, okay? And it's like... <laughs> So no, this is this, okay. This is not even funny. Okay, so I said, I'm, I'm thinking. So I did that. I actually prayed and I said, God, you said you would give us a way out. You, you know that. I, I, you ever heard of Jesse Duplantis? Jesse Duplantis. He tells a story much like it. He sat. He was at an airplane one time, and this woman sat down and started hitting on him and was going, "We will make. We would make. You know, sweet music or something like that with each other." Well, Jesse. He says, he says, you don't put up with sin. He says, you embarrass sin. 
So in front of everybody, I mean, he is, is he stands up and at the top of his lungs he yells, "Whore of Babylon, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus!" And he starts yelling at her, calling her Jezebel and everything else. He goes, "You embarrass sin," he says, you know, in t- temptation. So I'm sitting there going, "I don't want to do that." <laughs> Lord, please don't make me do that. Please. Any, anything but that. I just, I'm not that kind of person. Jesse would get away with it. I wouldn't. I just, I don't get away with that kind of you stuff. You get half a sentence out and lose all the points. Oh, I'd lose it and laugh. You know, I'd go, ah, forget. I'm just kidding. Actually, I wouldn't do it. I just, I'm not that kind of person. So, so I'm sitting there going, Lord, you said you would give me a way out. And I, I'm asking for the way out. And I, and not even 30 seconds later, the flight attendant walks up, puts her hand on my shoulder, and she goes, Sir, I am so sorry. There is a couple, uh, three rows back, who has an, an infant, and the only place they can snap in the baby carrier is in, is in this row. We'll give you a better seat if you'll move. And I went, absolutely. I would love to do that. And I got up and moved. So God gives you a way out, you know. Um, it's way better than having to yell "horror Babylon" to the uh, to the person who doesn't understand English. <laughs> you know, that's the other thing. Well, but, other people might. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So he gives you a way up. Uh, verse three. You, no, six. Six. Yeah, th- thank you. Thanks for moving me forward. Um, oh, I see. Because I only read the first one. We have confidence in the Lord. Paul was also confident regarding the Thessalonians themselves and that they would follow through and be obedient to God's word. This shows that God's work of establishing and guarding us is done, in part through his appeal to our will in obeying his word. God doesn't just pour out spiritual maturity and stability into us. He works it in us through our cooperation with his will. It would be nice if we just, he just, you know touched us and we immediately were mature and acted mature and trusted in everything and had all the faith in the world that would be great but that's not reality in reality and we'll talk about that this summer coming up it's a process of sanctification that's another one of those big buck and a quarter theological words sanctification which means the process that we go through becoming more like Christ so it's a it's a growing process. And so... Um, teenage years. Exactly. And, and in reality, I've, I've, I've watched this in myself and in others. There are When somebody gets saved, they're really a baby in Christ. And a lot of the decisions that they make, the way that they act, how they do, you know, in, under stressful situations, if they are a new Christian, spiritually, they'll act like a baby. But at the same time... And what I mean by that, what, they'll, they'll, they'll be confused, they won't know what to do, they won't be able to deal with the situation themselves. But on the same, in the same moment, God then is much like the father of an infant. He will do stuff for, for a baby Christian that he won't do for an adult Christian or somebody who's been a believer for years and years. Um, when I first came back to the Lord, when I first started you know, reading the Word again and praying and really walking, starting to walk by faith, I could pray for something, and it would happen almost instantaneously. Answers to prayer, provision, healing, all that kind of stuff would just happen. Just like a, a baby, as soon as they go, wah, they're fed or changed or whatever. And so God will do that. But then as we grow up spiritually, he, asks, he expects us 
to act more mature. And sometimes that means, well, God's done everything he's going to do. What are you going to do? What are, how are you going to act by faith? You know, be developing our part of that cooperation, that part of that, that transaction. And so teenagers the same way. So somebody who's been, been uh, uh, born again for a while, years, but they, they're kind of in that teenager where they think they know everything. They're, they're out there too. I was never like that. But there are, there are those who are, who are like that. They, well, I know, I know what I'm supposed to do in this. You don't have to tell me. And I, I know I have all the answers and you can't tell them anything. They just, that's what they're like. They're, they're acting like a teenager. But then they get into, you know, more mature and they start realizing, I don't know everything. And, I, and, they, and they're hungry. They're just, they want wisdom. You know, uh, 25, 26, 30-year-olds are really start to go, okay, so there's people out there that know more than I do. I want to get that information. Same way in Christianity. Somebody who's been a believer for a while. And that, that time isn't by year. So if you've only been walking with the Lord for a couple of years, I've seen some very mature people who have only been with the Lord for a couple of years. God can take you through that process much quicker than an, an, you know, a, a human being aging. Um, but you can see the, the, the correlation of how people act under stress, act in that moment of need, whatever it is. And it's, uh, then you have the people who are very mature. You know, the worst things in life are hitting them, and they're just smiling. And God's got this. He's taking care of it. And, you know, and they, you do, they're doing their part. They're speaking by faith. They're, they're waiting patiently. They're, you know, there's, God has developed patience within them, and they're acting very mature in that situation. So if we find ourselves not acting mature in a spiritual situation, then we need to grow up. And that's all of us. I need to grow up. There's times when, when God is dealing with me and I, I find out oh, I'm acting like a two-year-old, aren't I? I'm sorry, Lord, you know, forgive me. And then grow up. And, or like a teenager or whatever. We all can grow up. We all have ways to grow. And the way we do it is through the process. It isn't just poured out on us. Verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. So, Paul had already told the Thessalonians to warn the unruly people. That was in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Apparently the problem still remained in some measure. Uh, this has only been a couple of months, so you can imagine it, you know they hadn't worked out all the kinks yet uh, within the church. So here he's retelling them, "Hey, just want to let you know, if people are causing problems in the church, stay away from them. You don't have to kick them out; just stay away from them. Don't 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 fellowship with them. And there are times when when we have to do that. There's times when when uh, there's someone within the church or the organization or within a, a relationship that you're in with them that when they are being unruly, then you need to tell them, stop it. Or, you know, and, and if they won't stop, then they need to be, then they need to be quarantined, uh, for lack of a better word. Um, in 21 now years of ministry, 22 years of ministry, I've only had to kick out four people out of fellowship. And I mean, kick them out. Literally, tell them you're done, out the door. That is severe. It's very severe. You don't want to do that. That's not what we're looking for. Um, 
but it is it, if it does need to happen sometimes and in, in your own life you know you say well do I just put up with everybody that always you know is 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 causing pain and suffering in my life no you don't always have to put up with them now God will tell you put up with them get walk in love forgive them forgive them again forgive them again forgive them again but there's a point where he says that's it push them out um, the the very first time it ever happened uh, was very scary for me but it was also extremely hilarious there was a there was a guy who was hanging out uh, with our youth group and he was an older not older he was in his late 20s early 30s loved the Lord I never doubted his salvation but he had an edge to him and he just he thought he was in control he thought he should be the one that's in control and so during a meeting one night um, I was I was talking and he said he goes well you know really Pastor John this is in front of all the youth this is when I was a youth pastor in front of all the youth he goes you know really Pastor John I don't think you're seeing this scripture correctly this is the way it really is and I just smiled and I said you know his name was Jim you don't know him you'll never know who this guy is I said Jim I said we'll talk later Let's, not right this is not the right time to do this kind of he's acting like a teenager you know that's what he's one of those people that was acting like a teenager so after the meeting I walked up to him and I said hey here's the deal bud and I said you know we can disagree anytime you want you want to disagree with me disagree with me if you want to talk about something talk to me anytime not in the middle of a meeting okay this is you know we don't want to cause confusion we don't want to you know muddy the waters here if you have a problem with me come to me I said I'll listen to you we'll talk and we'll work it out, you know. And if if you're right, I'll admit it. But if you're not, then I'm. You have to admit that you just have to deal with it. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to embarrass you on this. Now. I said that's fine. Just don't don't do it again. A couple of weeks later, he was frustrated, and uh, he stood up in the meeting and he's in in, in the, with, with right in front of all the kids, and says, "You're wrong, Pastor John. This is the way it's supposed to be." And I said, "Jim, meet me upstairs." And I. I think it was Dennis DeMar was was one of the leaders. I said, Dennis, you're in charge. And so he was. I left him in charge of the meeting. Took the guy upstairs, and I said, Get out of here. I said, You're not. I said, I warned you once. You're disrupting. It's not just me. If you're just picking on me, I don't care. But you're messing with my kids. You're messing with these kids that I care a lot about. I said, You're not welcome here anymore. Get out. And he and I said, Get out. You're gone. You're you're done. Don't ever come back again. So he left, and there was other stuff that was going on. That was just that's the that's the abridged version. But the funny part was, I go downstairs and it's stone cold quiet. And you know Jesse, the drummer, Jesse Cunningham. He was he was in seventh or eighth grade at that time. And I come down and everybody's stone. And Jesse all of a sudden goes, "Fight, fight!" <laughs> Pastor John, you beat him up. <laughs> everybody starts laughing, and we you know just moved on but that that was the deal he was messing with people it wasn't just messing with me he was messy he what he was trying to become the leader of the group well he's being divisive he's he was being a problem you deal with him I didn't want to do that and I, it's, it's happened a few times and there you go it's okay but you have to know when it's okay you have to know when it's right you don't just kick out everybody that's annoying because then you would all not be here and I'd be all by myself no I'm just kidding Totally kidding. 
I wouldn't be here. That, that would be the problem. If we kicked out all the annoying people, I wouldn't be here, and then you'd have to do it all by yourself. Then. All right. So the purpose in withdrawing from this disobedient, uh, these who are disobedient, was not so much a punishment, but to more simply to deny those disobedient ones the aid and comfort of fellowship of the body of Christ until they repented. It put them out of the church into the domain of, the, of Satan, into the world, in hope that they might miss the fellowship of the church so much that they would repent of their disobedience. Paul echoed the same thing in 1 Corinthians 5, and that's where that's really the verse where most people talk about how to deal with somebody who is being a problem within the church. The purpose was to bring about repentance and salvation and to the disobedient ones, not to condemn or damn them. Especially in 1 Corinthians, because people will read that verse if you turn turn there real quick. 1 Corinthians 5. This that's the, the, the really interesting one that people can run with and do all kinds of crazy things. 1 Corinthians 5, beginning with verse 4. So verse 4 and 5. Whoever gets there, read that for me. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Uh, I think it's the King James that says that uh, hand him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. <laughs> that just sounds fun. You know, I mean, let's throw him. So, I mean, but what he's basically talking about is cause that person to, to feel, you know, to tell them, hey, you are doing wrong. You're not living right. You're being divisive. You're, you're, it says here, the description that he gives in verse 6 is that keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. And then he goes into verse 7. He starts to define what does that mean. And so let's do that. Verse 7. For you yourselves know how, how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but, you, but, to, give you in, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. He's talking here. Now this is just one example what was happening there, what, what they believe was happening here, uh, they being theologians, people who study it, guys who write uh, um, concordances, that there were people who weren't working. They thought, remember they were, they were talking about Jesus is coming back? That Jesus was coming back, that you know they thought they had missed it, there was all these things. They thought he was coming back any minute. And so what was happening was there were a group of people who quit their jobs. And just were living off everybody else. They weren't. They weren't taking care of themselves. And, and then they were getting into arguments about. See, Jesus is coming back. Why do we, you know? You, you, why don't you share with me what you have? Because he's coming back. You, you know, are you being stingy and things like that? They were being jerks, and they were hurting the body. And so they were here. Paul. That would, that's what seems to be happening. Is he's telling them, you guys need to work. Get out there and get a job. You, you know, don't. Don't just sit there idly. Do something, and not only you know we know that people if they're idle, and 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 they're they're not only idle but they're also busybodies and that busybodies, and that's what the next verses uh, beginning with verse ten talks about. So Paul was an excellent example among the Thessalonians. He in that he worked hard to support his own needs. 
This wasn't because apostles like Paul didn't have the right to request support. Instead, it was because he wanted to set a good example of hard work and prove false any accusation that he preached the gospel for personal gain. Therefore, the Thessalonians should follow Paul in this example of both hard work and willingness to sacrifice for the furtherance and the integrity of the gospel. Verse 10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So, simply put, Paul says that if, if anyone will not work, neither shall they eat. God's plan is to provide for our needs through our work. So, there are still people today that will, that will uh, spiritualize choices. Now, does that mean we don't help people in need? No. no. Absolutely not. We we need to help you. There are people in absolute in real need. And in that moment, you help them. We help them. We do all that we can. And we'll go above and beyond. I mean, we've done that so many times here where someone will be, you know, have a, a turn. You know, something will happen, a sickness, a, a loss of a job or whatever. And we we want to be the first ones there to help them. But there's a difference between somebody who needs help and somebody who chooses to be idle and chooses to not work, chooses to not be uh, a provider for their home, for their for themselves, whatever. There is a difference. And and if that if if it ever comes to a situation where a person where it becomes a lifestyle rather than an emergency, and that's if it ever comes to that, that's where we say no, we we won't help. We don't. We don't help that. That's why you have the government. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's why we pay taxes. No, it isn't. Like <laughs> but that's why we work with the with the emergency fund. Uh, the emergency fund town in town here uh, is a part of the food shelf. But they also help with bills. They help with emergency needs, gas. If somebody's ran out of gas, traveling through, they run out of gas. Hey, call them up. They'll give you enough gas to till you get you know on your feet. They'll put you up for a hotel in you know, a hotel overnight if. If you if if somebody's if your furnace breaks in the middle of the winter and your house is freezing, your pipes freeze up. Hey, we will make sure you have a place to live. That there's an emergency fund in town here through the food shelf that oh, okay. does that. Um, and uh, so that's you know we work, but there's rules. There's rules within that, and one of them is that you can only get help once a year. And you can only get help three times in a lifetime because if it's happening twice a week or, or twice a month or twice a year, then it's choices. It's things that you're doing. Now, they have counseling. They have things that they can help you get into. Okay, if it's a budgeting thing, let's figure it out. Let's get this, let's, let's get this under, under control. But if it's a, if it's a lifestyle choice, um, the reason we started it, this emergency fund, was because we'd have people come through and go, hey, you know, can can I have ten dollars for gas? And well, we'd give them ten dollars for gas because we felt sorry for, we felt guilty or whatever. So we'd give them ten dollars for gas. Well, then they go to the next church. Can we get ten dollars for gas? And then they go to the next church. Can we get ten dollars for gas? I would be sitting in a meeting with a bunch of pastors, and they said, hey, did a guy in a blue Ford wearing a cowboy hat come, you know, and asking stuff, you know, asking for things from? Oh yeah, he got us for fifty bucks. Oh, yeah, he got us for a hundred, you know. And there's people who work the system. 
that's wrong. We that's that's not being good stewards of, of what God has given us. So we started this. So now, if somebody comes to us, I say, if I know them, if they're from our church, we help them. I don't send them on to the next person. If they're from our church, I'll, we'll, we will help them as to whatever level we can. Maybe can't solve all their need, but we can help in one way or another. Or if we don't have anything, if we're to, if we're if our checkbook is you know empty, we just we don't we say I'm sorry, I don't I'm not able to help. But if we know them, if I know them, we'll help. We'll help you. If you if something happens in your life, we will help you to the best of our ability. If we don't know you, then I give them a card that says call this number. And when you call this number, these people will help you. I know how the I, I'm the one who I actually I'm the one who started the system. I'm the one who got the ball rolling because I got tired of getting ripped off. And I got to talk to all the other pastors, and we have 20 churches that give towards this, and they have tens of thousands of dollars a month to give away, and so and help people with. But then, here, call this number, and these people will help you. Oh, I've already talked to them; they won't help me. Yeah. That's my answer. Mm-hmm. My answer is that they've already they're working the system. They're not just. They're not in. There's something more going on here because I know they've got. They can put you up in a hotel for a week. I know they have the money to do it. So if you're looking for a place to live and they're saying no, there's a reason. So there are people. I had a lady come here a couple of weeks ago, and she came and walked right in my office. I'm sitting here, and she walked in the door, walked right in. She goes, "I need help. Can you give me money for gas?" And I said, "Ma'am, I said I'm sorry, I can't. I said I have a this card I can give you. Call this number, and." Uh, and they'll help you out. And she goes, they won't help me. And I said, well, then I, I can't help you. Why not? Aren't you a Christian? I said, I think so. I'm pretty sure I am. You know, yeah. You're not acting like one. God would never turn anybody away. And I said, well, ma'am, I said, I, I don't know what your situation is. I don't know you. I'm bound by our rules. This is the way we handle it. I'm trying to be real nice and try to let her off the hook without saying get out of my office. You, you're just using the system, you know, calling it what it is. Fine. I would never do that to somebody and stomps out, slamming the doors all the way out to her car. About a week later, I get a phone call. And I pick up the phone and I said, hi, this is Pastor John Neitzel. The exact same voice. I wondered if I could get $45 for gas. I said, ma'am, weren't you here in my office last week? Click. <laughs> I've, I've, I mean, to get calls, there's, there are people who are abusing, because, they, because Christians are supposed to be nice, aren't they? They make you feel guilty, and we're not supposed to be fools. We're, we're not fools. We, 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 we're wise as serpents, the Bible says. And that's what Paul is saying. He goes, if there's somebody who's abusing it, you don't help them. If there's somebody who needs it, absolutely. We want to be the first ones, and we will be the first ones, and have been the first ones on many accounts, and we will help. But if it's a pattern, then we, we, that's where we draw the line. All right. Since God is able to provide through our needs in any manner imaginable, it means something that he has chosen to meet our needs through work. So God can do anything, but he's told us to work. This is part of God's character because he is a busy God. He's always at work. He's always doing something. And he desires and expects us to be the same way. All right. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies, verse 11. 
Now such persons be, we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. That's just so cruel. Paul is being so heartless here. Isn't that just terrible? How He doesn't care about humankind, does he? He doesn't. It's okay when I do it now. Do you get sarcastic, DM? No, I see it from somebody else where it just drives me, you know, they use the system and everything. Mm. And I can't help but have that. That sounded my Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so Paul, Paul's just calling it what it is. Don't help these people. If they're not going to work, if they're not going to be busy, if it's, if it's, a, if it's a, a, a system-using situation, tell them to stop it. But think about the children. Yeah, it's about the children. Yeah. And, and that is hard. I know. It is hard because you, you care about kids. You, know, you care about, you know... But at the same time, it's just like in, in uh, Hungary and Romania. You know, we love the gypsy people. We love, they're called Romas. We, I have to switch the words, but we've used gypsy so much here. And, and they call themselves gypsies, but now we're not supposed to, we're supposed to call them Roma. That's great. The Roma people, we love the Roma people. But if someone asks us for money, if somebody begs, we don't give it to them ever. Ever. We just don't do it. I don't care if it's the worst, if it... It doesn't matter how bad it looks. We don't give them money. Because by by reacting to their begging, you're teaching them to beg. And you're reinforcing that in them. And we're not their answer. We're not going to be there beyond... I mean, I, I have seen some really pitiful... But you know what I mean by pitiful? I don't mean, you know... It was just very sad, very sad situations that I've had to walk away from because because they expected us to do something because we're Americans. And it's just you if you if you encourage that in any way shape or form, you're setting them up for even worse because then they will that's how they'll live their lives. They won't do anything else. And the same thing really needs to happen here. There there are some people that need to go hungry. You know, uh, it might be our kids. Our kids may at some point need to go hungry because they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're not being productive. It's okay to, to tell them, you know, sleep in your car, I guess, if that's what you need to do. Uh, I know that's hard, and I'm not, I'm not being, I really don't want to sound like I'm being flippant about it. It's very serious. But there are some people that, are, that make bad choices consistently, and Paul is saying it's okay to tell them to go hungry. If you don't work, you don't eat. That's all right. Paul apparently was not a mother. <laughs> exactly. Did you tell that to me? Depends how far that girl pushes me. <laughs> well, and, and daughters are, are going to be harder than sons. You know, son. My parents did it to me. Did they? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. I mean, they hadn't sleep in my car, but they were like, yeah, okay, you've got to move out now. Mm-hmm. I hadn't reached a point in my rebellious years, and my mother car. just said, yeah. you made your bed sleep in Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome parents. She said you made your bed now, sleep in it. Because I'd ask for help, and she's like, no, not helping. And that's an awesome parent. Your choices got you know, and that's that was her direct quote. But she was saying, your choices got you here. Now deal with the consequences. Make better choices. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yep, I, you know, and and I and I have been there. So it, and I, you know, I it, I don't want to sound like I'm just pointing fingers. And I know I, it's hard for her. I've been there. I I lived 
before, well before I met Deb, well before I came back to the Lord, I found, I got to the point, it was got so bad, I was living in a basement of somebody's house in a nasty basement. And on the other side of the basement, on the other side of a curtain, was a was an, uh, about a 65 or 70-year-old alcoholic who was sleeping on the floor. And he was making all kinds of weird noises and, and sounds and stuff. I was stealing food out of the factory I was working in because I had no money. Because I was... I was an idiot. I was an idiot. And, and my parents just said, you know why you're here. Stop it. Stop doing this. And I had to grow up. There, it had to come to a point where I had to make decisions to be responsible. And that wasn't mean. That was actually love. That's, that's love when we tell our loved ones that, that, that they need to knock it off. They need to grow up. They, Paul, Paul's saying this out of love. He's not saying this out of out of meanness or being a jerk of it anyway, it's because he loves people. All right. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Many times we use that verse talking about that when you're going through rough times, uh, you know, don't get don't grow weary for doing good. In the context, that's not what this is saying. In the context of these verses, what he's what he's talking about is there are times when you help people. So don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow grow weary in holding people responsible. That's good. And that but that's hard. It's hard to do that. <clears throat> Especially in a church setting. Here we are in a church setting. Um, and especially as we start to grow, you know. Our services are the, the the people that come through here on a weekly basis is starting to grow. We're starting to see new faces all the time, and it's and those new faces, many of them are starting to stay, and and more and more people are coming, um, and but as people come, people with needs are going to come, and I don't mean just physical needs. I don't mean just money, you know, housing, whatever. I'm talking about people who have have a need to grow up. This is a place where people come get saved, but then our responsibility is to help them grow up. And so in talking, in, in dealing with each other, after we have a relationship, then we also have a responsibility to encourage people to live rightly. And if they're living wrong, and because you have a relationship with them and you care about them, if you see something in their life, not that we, we judge them and we, you know, we, 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 we do things out of spite, but out of true love, it's okay for us, like we would say to a brother or a sister or whatever, you know, that's probably not the best way to live. That's probably not the best choice to make. Now it hurts. That's hard. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He says, don't grow weary in doing good. That's hard. This, this is a hard way to live. Um, there's a book um, that I have a copy of it somewhere in, in one of the three possible places it could be that I have books stacked up uh, on top of books. It's called Messy Spirituality. Uh, we had it in our bookstore, bookstore years ago. And it's basically written by a pastor who says, Christianity is messy. Because you're dealing with people's most, most sensitive, most, most vulnerable things in their life. Their, their spirituality, their, their, that's really who they are, with their, their character, things like that. And that in in dealing with each other, there's going to be opportunities. It it all isn't 
Oh, good to see you, brother, sister. Good to see you, sister. You know, have, I'm glad, you know, isn't everything wonderful? Glory to God, everything is wonderful. In real life, there are times when things aren't wonderful, when things are hard. And there are times when, because you love me, you might need to tell me something I don't want to hear, that I don't agree, that I don't like, that I don't agree with, that might hurt my feelings. But here's the deal. If you don't do it, then nobody's going to do it because nobody out in the world cares or they don't know you well enough to do something about it. They don't, and, and in here, hopefully we have a, a good enough relationships that we're able to say to each other in love. Now, it may not sound like love. Here he's telling people, hey, if you're not going to work, you're not going to eat. I'm not feeding you. That's harsh. That's harsh stuff. Or maybe it's a character issue. You know, uh, I've, 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 over the years, you know, so whoever it may have been at the time, there, I have, I've had friends who have had anger issues. And I've had to get in their face and go, knock it off. You're alienating people. You're hurting people. Why are you pushing people away? Now, I'm not doing that because I want to pick on them. I'm doing it because they're headed in the wrong direction. They're hurting themselves and they're hurting other people. You know, I've had to tell people, stop it. And not just because I'm a pastor, but because I've been friends. I'm a friend of theirs. I'm, I'm a brother. It's somebody that I care about. That I wouldn't say anything. If, you know, <laughs> had somebody get really mad at me one time. Why are you picking on me? Why? I said, picking on you? No, 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 no. If I didn't care about you, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say anything. I wouldn't care. If if I would let you do whatever you want. But because I know about the situation, I know, and I may be the only one who can speak into it. I love you enough to confront you. I care enough. But in that, that is hard. That is some of the hardest stuff we'll do as people is to deal with these kinds of issues. Paul's dealing with a very touchy issue. People who are being super spiritual. Oh, Jesus is coming back. Everybody should all, we should all be sharing with one another. Didn't Jesus say that if, if you have two cloaks, you should give me one because I'm in need? And they were using their spirituality as a as a as a as a crowbar to use people and paul's going knock it off stop it at grow up and so on and so forth in that we can grow weary we, we, we can just give up on people skip it so that's what that verse is actually talking about in context in context of everything that's going on here he's saying as for you brothers do not grow weary in doing good um some of these busybodies thought if Jesus was coming soon, it'd make no sense to work. It then would be easy for them to intrude on the lives of others and take advantage of their Christian generosity. The early church did provide for the truly needy among them, but only after a certain criteria was met. And, and Timothy outlines it. A, a widow, widows and orphans, don't have any other family, they're, but they're not busybodies. They're working hard in the church. They're being a blessing to other people. They're helping out. Yeah, then we take care of them. We, we feed them. But everybody else, get to work. Let's go. Okay. Why? He doesn't say, like, physically unable to work. He doesn't categorize those people as people we should help. Um, he does not say that directly. No, he doesn't. But but I would have That's to think because everybody got healed. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Could be. Well, let's talk about um, taking care of your own household and um, that. So 
someone who neglects their own household is worse than an unbeliever. Mm -hmm. So I, if it falls in that category, then I would think that would, you know, their family would be taking care of them. But right. um, if they don't have family, then they might fall in another <laughs> category too. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah. And interestingly enough, there's been situations in both churches that we've been in where someone has a real need, a real need, and the Holy Spirit said, don't do anything about it. Okay. So we don't do it. But then it's then it's cool to watch how God provides in other ways. So God cares more about them than we care. You know, or them, when I'm saying them, is that person who's in need. It might be us someday. It has been us. You know, there... There was a time when when I went through some medical stuff, and all of a sudden people started giving us money. It paid for all the medical bills. I mean that was just awesome. And maybe you know, maybe it was because I was the pastor, but we never asked for it, and people just started blessing us. And that was that's beautiful. I mean it's just you know it's very humbling that you're the receiver of that when when you're in that need and you're trying to figure out. I mean just like everybody else, you're trying to figure out how you're going to pay the bills and and how you're going to cover this and how, how you're going to cover that. And people start blessing you with money. I mean, large chunks of money, and it's like that's humbling. But it's, and it's but it's beautiful. The body of Christ working that way. So it isn't you know that there there is a balance. You know, there are times of need where we, you know, we absolutely help people out. Um, but then there's times where we say, nope, get to work now. So, alrighty. This was a proper encouragement for those who, who were working as they should. Few things are more weary than seeing others take advantage of Christian generosity. But we should never let the manipulation of some dis discourage us from doing good to the truly needy. Verse 14. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them. Wow. That's pretty harsh. That he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And that's what we were just talking about. Because you love that person, because you care, you warn them, even if it's not what they want to hear, even if it's not how they want to hear it. Because if you really care about them, then you will say the hard things. You know, I, I think about this raising my kids. There's nobody in this world that I'm harder on than my kids. I mean, I, 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 every once in a while I have to ask them, am I too hard on you? And sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is no. But there's nobody in this world I'm harder on than my kids. And, and I, but it's because I love them, and I want them to grow up and be, and be able to operate in our world. And our world is a harsh world. It just is. And so... I believe they need to be able to handle harshness. So I'm not always lovey-dovey dad. You said cute children. Sometimes I get your butt over here. I saw some funny looks when we were praying for mothers a couple weeks ago, and I said, I told you, I said, Ethan, get your butt down here on the tape. It's actually on tape. I should probably have not done that, but that's the way I talk to my kids. Get your butt over here. Let's go. But I love them. And by and because I love them, I expect way more out of them than I. There are people I don't care about, and if they fail school, and if they don't work, and if they're lazy, and they have bad habits, I don't care. It's not no skin off my nose. I don't care. Them I care about. You guys I care. This church I care about, 
And so I'm going to say hard things. Not hard being hard, but the things that are hard to say. Grow up. Stop it. Don't live that way. Here's the right way to go. It's it, Die daily. That's not a fun sermon to preach, but I've had, you know, I preach it all the time. We need, the Bible says we need to die. Die to ourselves. Serve other people. Husbands, love your wives, which means die, just like Jesus did. You want to do what you want to do? She wants to do what, you, what she wants to do? You have got to compromise and do what she wants to do. That's how it works. And really? Then, and you feel like you're dying every second of it. Yeah, and but then, then you go to the symphony and you realize it's not that bad. <laughs> ran around and played with me. Is she getting you cultured? Nice. That was my mother's nice. day gift. Nice. Oh, she finally came with me. Just like cottage cheese. Cultured just like cottage cheese. She's trying to get me to try that now, too. Oh, yeah. Don't do that, man. That's. I gotta have no, you put it with applesauce. applesauce. It's actually pretty good. Only way it's good. Two, two very strange textures together. Yeah, that doesn't sound like it's good. That's good. I would draw a line on that one. No, that ain't gonna happen. That ain't gonna happen. You just said compromise and do what she wants to do. Except when cottage cheese is involved. I like cottage cheese. He likes tapioca. We're, we're good. She says it's a texture thing. It's a texture thing. <laughs> you okay? The same type of pudding is supposed to be smooth. We have this argument the whole time. No, it's so good. You eat it with. Great. Cottage like, cottage cheese has little chunks in it. Wow. Yeah. Oh, this one, peanut butter and your chili. <laughs> peanut butter and chili. I'm going to do it next year for the chili cookout. I'm going to do it now. Make sure I label it. May contain peanuts. Don't say contains peanuts. You got to put may contain peanuts. I always love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if he wasn't already doing like this before he tried it, he was like it. Oh, when it comes to cottage cheese, it's just like <laughs> you, you look at it, it's lumpy. <laughs> and there's no color, it's white and lumpy. And see, I love I love raisins. I love I can eat handfuls of raisins. I love raisins. But you put them in a bread or a cookie, yep. it's like, my God, what have you done? Raisin oatmeal cookies, what's the point? Oh, just stop. <laughs> make, they always have every Sunday. Make the madness stop. Raisin bran is great. Once in a while. I, I actually will eat raisin bran. Raisin bran crunch. But they're not, they're not in the cookie. They're, they're not in the bran. They're, right. they're like, like, a, like a raisin bran muffin? No. Raisins? Bran muffin? Perfect. How do you get it to eat anything? Oh, I'll eat a lot. I I eat all kinds of stuff. I won't eat cottage cheese or raisins and stuff. Before we had kids and I had to cook, we used to eat out a lot. He would come home, I'd give him five different options of what I could cook for supper, and none of them would sound good. <laughs> all right, let's go out for dinner. Okay, you still gave, I stopped giving options a while ago. <laughs> this was for dinner. Yeah. No, that's how and I operate now. to take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know how this all got on to husbands all of a sudden. <laughs> Mother's Day. Yes, apparently. That joined the symphony thing. <laughs> so, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a <clears throat> brother. 
Here, Paul finished the thought he'd introduced in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. He elaborates on what it means to withdraw from a brother as previously mentioned. To withdraw means to note that person and to not keep company with them and with the purpose of causing them to be ashamed. So you, so you wonder, is, it, is there a point where you tell a person, that's enough, stay away from me? Yes. Absolutely. You know, you, we don't have to be... Now, see, I don't really like that term. <clears throat> People... I heard a preacher say this once, and it's gone through the body of Christ. You know, God doesn't expect you to be a doormat. Actually, he kind of does. We do have to we do have to let people be really mean to us sometimes. He tells us to love and forgive and love and forgive and love and forgive, even if they despitefully use us and all kinds of things. Um, there's been relationships that I've had with individuals where I had to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive, and forgive and for years. And they kept being bad. And God never actually ever released me from being nice to them and forgive them and give them another chance. What? Time you're talking about me? No. <laughs> no, you guys, none of you are in any way, shape, or this person was freaking annoying. But God said, love that person, love that person, love that person. And that person changed. It wasn't, you know, not because I was so amazing because I hated every minute of it. But because God is so amazing. And, and if he used me, great, fine. I get no crowns from because I had a terrible attitude all the way through. <laughs> but I don't care. It helped the person, you know. And and that, so yeah, there are times when he wants you to be a doormat. It really is. Abuse, totally different story. You know, a, a a a man is abusing his wife. You do not have to stay in that. Absolutely not. That's, you know, somebody's physically abusing or or something like that. No way. You know, and, and I have to be very careful about that when I talk about. You know, staying in there and forgiving, and there's yeah, there's there are that, but then there's when there's a life danger thing, absolutely not. You get your kids out of there, you get you out of there. It could be the other way. It could be a a wife who's being abusive to her husband. Get out of there. You just you know you don't have to stay in that that stuff. Absolutely, but there are certain relationships. But then, if at some point in time the Lord says that's enough, don't let them do this anymore. You have every right to say you're done. Don't 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 do this anymore. Don't don't call me. Don't talk to me. Don't you know? And that's what he's talking about. You avoid them. Stay away from them. Don't let them fellowship with you, because hopefully they get they, they become ashamed. Now, if they're full of pride, they'll never come back. They'll, they'll they will stay away. Well, that's then it's their problem. It's not your problem. It's not your fault. They're the ones that are that are acting that way. And need to grow up alright the intention of excommunication is not to drive men from the Lord's flock but rather to bring them back again when they have wandered and gone astray excommunication is to be distinguished from anathema anathema is a big fancy word that means cast it away from you I don't want anything to do with you you, you, you despise it cottage cheese. Think cottage cheese. <laughs> Anathema. Away from me. Stay away from me. I want nothing to do with you in any way, shape, or form. That's, anath- that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, he's saying, hey, I don't want to fellowship with you when you're acting like this. Stop it. And that means, and the person may think, well, who do you think you are? Well, they can think whatever they want. 
you're doing it from a pure heart, as long as you're doing it from a pure heart, you have the right to do that. And, and that will help them, hopefully, if they humble themselves. If not, that's their deal. That's between them and God. It's kind of unfortunate that sometimes you see people that are actually looking for the opportunity to cut people off in a yeah. way. Yeah. And it's not even clear why they're doing it sometimes. It's not, it's not the appropriate use of it at all. Mm-mm. And that's why in the beginning when I talked about that's only been four times in 22 years. Four, and those were major situations. Four times in, in all those years. Yeah, it's not something you look for. There's been way more people I've had to be nice to. <laughs> and, and, and forgive. And like, they're, they're one of my favorites of all time was the person wasn't the person that was bad, it was me. There was this woman that drove me nuts. Doesn't go to, this is when I was back at Abundant Life. You won't know her. I don't even know if she's still alive. Every, I would see her coming and I would run the other direction. I was just, oh, she was annoying. She was weird. She was, oh, just drove me nuts. And then God did something really, really cruel. He told me I had to start being nice to her. I had, I had to stand and talk to her and listen to her. And she would go on and on and on and on on and on and on and on about the most inane uncool anything things and I and I was there listen to her be nice I mean he, it was me I was the jerk I didn't even realize it until much later I was the one who was the jerk it wasn't her it was me <laughs> so then he got really mean and we were planning a mission trip, and she came up. She goes, "I think I'm supposed to go on the mission trip." I'm going, "No, two weeks in tight places, airplanes and hotels, and no." Next on the plane? No, oh no, I don't remember. Actually, I may have. I don't even remember. <laughs> but, but it was it was me. I was the problem. God was dealing with me. She was annoying, yes, but she. It was because I was prideful. I was a jerk. So we get on. We get over the other side of the world. This is in 1999, and I don't know what God did, but He changed me. She, because she's still weird. She was still a strange person, and but she's a cool strange now. Or back the last time I saw her, which was probably about 15 years ago, she was she was amazing. She was wonder. I mean, I don't know. Something changed, and we actually have videotape of me polkaing with her in Poland. So there's this huge street party going on and there's this polka band and boop and boop and boop and boop and all of a sudden and somebody's videotaping the crowd and all there's hundreds of people poking and all of a sudden you see the two of us go polking by in, in the picture and she's going as we're going past and we were having a blast she's just she is a cool person but God changed me so you know in all of this the person that that you're you're walking in love with and you're dealing with and all these things God may actually be using them to change you and to cause you to grow up. And usually that's the case. Iron sharpening iron. There's something within that person that grates you. It's because there's something in you that needs to get grated off. There's something in you that's, that's edgy or, 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 or rough in some way. And so God puts you two together until all of a sudden you go, wow, that person's not so bad. She's one of my favorite people in the world. I mean, she's just cool. But it was because I was a, I, I needed to get the rough edges knocked off me. 
And God is amazing. If we let him do it, he's, it's amazing what he'll do. All right. Benediction. Verse 16 and 17 and 18. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. Remember, we were talking at the very beginning that the reason he was writing this, and he was because they think that somebody else wrote a letter that was had some bad information. So here he's saying, I'm Paul writing this. You can check my handwriting. Check it with the other letters that you get from me. And then we can make sure that it is the right ones. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So let me close this year out by reading this benediction as a prayer for us all. Ready? Let's pray. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. Amen.